the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Or Salem Media Group. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good morning, everybody. Let's start off uh, thinking positively. Do what you can with what you have, where you are. Teddy Roosevelt. I don't know if you remember the story, but Teddy Roosevelt was literally doing his inauguration speech, and some guy came up and shot him. And uh, he kept speaking, and then he finished his speech, uh, which is just amazing. You know, that's why they called him the... uh, Oh, I can't, the moose or the bull or whatever. I can't remember what his nickname was. But uh, anyway, I thought that was an interesting story. Uh, okay, so uh, if you go to Google or Bing and you uh, hit Tim, Tim Hayes Radio, I my webpage shows up, and uh, there's a lot of good stuff on there. I highly recommend it. Uh, mostly, there is Market Week uh, is a newsletter. Uh, there's Investor's Edge, by the way, which is, comes out, Quarterly or monthly, I can't remember. I think it's monthly. That's on there, too. And then uh, the daily technical analysis, which I highly recommend. You know, some, the, the market, the bond market's 10 times bigger than the stock market. And the stock market's such a big, vast thing. It's hard to picture, okay? And sometimes if you see it, you'll understand a little bit better. Uh, I know that, you know, I've been seeing it for a long, long time, and, and I, I start to under, it's starting to scare me a little bit. And I guess the question is, if you have insurance, do you have the old insurance or the new kind of life insurance? You want to hear more? There's all sorts of contact me or email me's on those uh, on that uh, web page. So please, please be uh, aware and please let us know. Uh, by the way, I would suggest the term insurance is as cheap as I've ever seen it in my career. Uh, so buy term, invest the rest. There we go. Uh, we do have a new newsletter out for February. If you'd like to get it, uh, sign up. Uh, don't remember, don't forget that February is financial aid month. Uh, so make sure, uh, you pay attention to that. If you want help in financial aid, I got a lot of uh, things to do on that one. We had a conference, uh, back in late November and I've been touting this, this conference, the technology, internet, media, and telecommunications conference. Now look. I'm going to talk about two things. I don't think media stocks are ready yet. The Internet stocks, especially the, the social things, I think they're in trouble a little bit. But technology and telecommunications, and I haven't mentioned the word telecommunications on this show in my entire time I've been doing it. Now I'm starting to talk about it. And, you know, when stocks are going sideways for 18 years, we call that a base in my business. And the longer the base, the farther the race. But this technology group... The software area are, they are just knocking the cover off the ball. And I don't have enough of these stocks. Okay. But I also think there's some things about 5G in here. And, uh, I've only had two people call in for it, which is usually a really good sign, a very bullish sign. 
Uh, and I mentioned money markets are off to a bang this year. They are now up to $3.1 trillion. That they're up $400 billion since, since December 31st. So while the market's going up, everybody's taking their money out and put it in the money market. <laughs> it's great. Uh, fear is a great thing. Uh, the more fear there is, the better your portfolio does, I bet. Uh, also, we talked about a couple things. I'm going to mention this. Uh, I talked uh, back in 2003 on this show, okay, 2004. That's how long I've been on this show. I talked about that we had things like Bakken, Montana, and the per- Permian Basin. And I said that someday we'd be a leading exporter of energy. We are now the top energy producing com- uh, country. And we are now, you know, starting probably about halfway through this year, we will be, uh, an, an exporter and will be a net exporter by 2022, which is something I predicted a long time ago. I didn't actually predict it, but, uh, I read enough where I, I could figure that out. The other thing is I said that as we started to ship oil out, the trade deficit would start to narrow, and it did. It dropped 11.5%. It was 100% oil. So we're starting to see how positive that can be. Now, I had a couple of clients that, uh, you know, look, I, I was the guy that went on the air in 2000, late 2007 and said, uh, and by the way, this is just uh, some people I follow, you know, to the T, and Enough of them were saying this that I said, you know, cash would outperform the stock market. And uh, I did I did have a lot of cash. Uh, <laughs> sometimes, I, well, I had a lot of cash the whole year. Uh, however, if you would have stayed invested in stocks versus a move to bonds or a move to cash and stayed there, you would have, if you had $40,000, let's say, or let's say you started with 100 and your 100 went down to to. to 49, okay, the 50% drop that we talked about. It'd still be at 208. With bonds, you would have been at 71. And with cash, you would be at 51. Uh, so, you know, when they say stay long term, they mean it, okay? Um, now, I've had a lot of people tell me about, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to get back to a normal state of interest rates. Look, there is no normal state of interest rates. What Mr. Powell's trying to do is back uh, in the 40s, you know, uh, we, ha- we had a, a vicious bear market uh, that extended from the 30s. So interest rates went up for a short period of time, came right back down and, and fell in the same malaise, which is okay. You know, it helps the market. And then we had the, the, uh, uh, the war and it picked up a little bit. But slowly but surely, uh, we had a lot of Fed chairmen that let the ball loose and let it go, okay? And... Interest rates climbed, 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 climbed. And, uh, you know, we had 1980. We had 16%, 17% treasuries. And um, 20% municipals. I mean, you had a 70% tax bracket and a 20% municipal. How could you go wrong? Uh, so, but there is no normal when it comes to bond investing. And I just want you to know that. And look, as long as the Fed balance sheet is at $3.7 trillion, or $3.2 trillion, I guess is now, and they're trying to get it down to back where it was before, which is $400 billion. As long as that's occurring, I don't think, you know, as long as they're going to be buying back or selling bonds and, and letting them mature, you know, all that money goes in the Treasury, never has seen them again. And I, I don't think you're going to have a problem with interest rates. You know, you may have rallies like we did uh, in the spring, up to three, you know, three, four, three, five on the long bond, 325 on the 10-year, but I don't think it's, they're going up big. Uh, when that ends, it might be a different story. 
Look, I had uh, uh, some people in my office who said, hey, look, what we want to do is we want to live longer, but we want to pass the fanta- uh, financial baton to my future generation. So uh, the fountain of youth really does exist these days. I mean, with biotechnology and, and some of the stuff that I'm seeing. But uh, look, academic research is increasingly proving to be found uh, amidst your investment portfolio, a growing body of scholarly research that shows that in many ways life can get better as we get older. And and I think the key is is that if you want to keep money for your kids, you got to start thinking, uh, you know, how do you get that when you even if you transfer the wealth to them, do they understand what's going on? So look, I, I would say a couple things. Uh, encourage your children, grandchildren to learn about investing early. It will benefit all parties in a big ways. My daughter has no interest in it, and I can't I can't get her going. And uh, my son is starting to pay attention. Uh, I hope he continues, but. Uh, present investing as a worthy part-time hobby that can offer a lifetime of insights and benefits, you know, golf and, and investing. What do you talk about on the golf course? Investing and other stuff like that. Map out an informal program that will let you discuss finances, share interesting books, take investing classes together as a family. That's really good. And most important of all, make an effort and show an interest in their progress. Hey, that stock you told me about the other day, how's it doing? Okay. So the bottom line is start early. And expand your thinking as you as to who would benefit from this kind of, you know, intergenerational collaboration. And uh, look, uh, I had a client, and his kids were not interested, so he went to his grandkids. And now the grandkids are, you know, they're watching CNBC all the time, driving their mother uh, and father nuts. But uh, you know, somebody's got to know, all right? Look, uh, many experts say uh, pay pretty close attention to the great wealth of the baby boomers, but Gen X and millennials have actually surpassed the baby boomers in their share of disposable income, which is expected uh, to rise to strikingly in the coming years. So uh, as much as they complain and they want to be socialists, uh, you know, <laughs> they're doing well. All right. So Gen X and millennials as a group overtook uh, the spending power, I, th- I think, uh you know, they, they, I think it was 2013 when they got they broke even, and now they're going crazy. So, um, it's mostly because of the computer men, uh, generation and a lot of the guys that who are uh, you know uh, taking companies public and stuff like that. But look, I think a couple things. Number one, you have to you know a millennial uh, differentiates themselves by showing more interest in having experience rather than accumulating possessions, and that's okay. But they still got to eat and they still got to. Uh, you know, go to the store and they, but they like organic, they like energy drinks versus, you know, uh, drinking, you know, vodka and, and eating steaks. Okay. So, uh, companies need to satisfy the, the Gen X and Millennial X needs, uh, but they are out there and, and, you know, something to think about. So, um, the Super Bowl. Okay. So we have the Super Bowl indicator. And as you know, the Super Bowl indicator says that the market will do better. If the NFC, the original NFC teams win, uh, 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 the AFC teams won, by the way, uh, you know, uh, New England was an AFC team. So the question is, uh, how, how are we doing? So look, if you look, uh, and it, this is a pretty good, uh, scenario, but, uh, if, if you look at the, over the last 12 years, the indicator has been right seven times and wrong five. So not a bad, you know, so it's correct about 75% of the time. So anyway, uh, it says that the market will be bad this year. Uh, don't know if that's true. Uh, a couple things. The money market uh, percent rank went down again this week. 
Uh, that's, you know, the more how much money you should have in the money market versus the market, which is good. I would also suggest that I looked at the different groups this week, and technology is still number one. Healthcare is number two, which we kind of predicted about a year ago. Utilities are number three, but they've they've lost a little momentum. Industrials are picking up, and consumer cyclicals, which i.e. is retail, have picked up. And then uh, uh, communication services, i.e. telecom. All right, so there we go. Now, I read something where Goldman Sachs thinks that Jan- if you didn't make your money in January, it's going to be a long year. And uh, that would kind of follow my theory in that I think we're going to we're going to dip down here, which we you know, I, I said last week we probably dip down a little bit and that will be the buying opportunity. I actually sent an email out to a lot of people saying just that. And then I think we'll go up and we'll go sideways for a while. And then 2020 will be a pretty big year. I my humble opinion. I did notice a couple things this this week, and that is that cyclicals and biotechs are trading above their 200-day moving averages for the first time in a long, long time. I mean, biotech, it's almost, uh, and I looked at three or four different biotech, uh, uh, you know, ETFs, and it's, I mean, it's been four years. Industrial has been a little longer than that, so it'll be interesting to see if, if all this works out for us, but uh Look, if you put January, well, I don't have time. So let's let's take a break, and we'll be right back, and we'll keep talking. This is Smart Investor Show. Stay tuned. Okay, if you just tuned in, this is the Smart Investor Show. Once again, if you missed the first part of the show and you want to hear the whole thing, or if you're driving in your car and you got to stop in to go to Home Depot, wherever it may be, uh, you're having breakfast with a bunch of your friends, uh, you know, because it's Saturday morning, obviously, um, you can always, uh, on Monday, they have a podcast on WHK 1420 AM. So if you go to their website and go to local podcast, go down to Tim Hayes, I show up. And it also has a direct link to my uh my webpage, by the way. So if you want to get any of the materials that we talked about, and by the way, I think it's a great time to be looking at the dividend growth portfolio. Um, also our best ideas for the year, the 2009 best ideas. Uh, they do pretty well. Uh, I'd also say that the, you know, it's still, you still have time, especially if we get a pullback to do the dogs of the Dow. All right. So our top ideas and then even some of our European ideas, I think might be interesting, but you know, we'll, we'll talk more about them later. Look, if we put January into perspective, one outlook often depends uh, on one's time frame, but the outlook can be inf- influenced by recent price action. And the S&P surged 7.8% in January and recorded its biggest monthly advance since October 2015. So uh, that's a pretty big surge and, and was preceded by a deeper 9.8, a 9.18 decline in December. And that's the biggest monthly loss since February 2009, by the way. Taking the two months together, the Bears are still somewhat sco- have the scoring edge. So, uh, and I said last week, and I said in the email, if you're on my email list, if you'd like to get on that, you know, just call me either eight 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 two two three seven seven four two. That's eight 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 two two three seven seven four two, or or go to Google Tim Hayes Radio and hit the contact me. But the rate of uh, change is perhaps uh, the purest momentum indicator of all, and. Uh, one momentum indicator looks great, but three, six, and 12 months do not. <laughs> All right, so the, you, you got to wait a while for a decline like that to get over. I mean, it's, it's going to take a while. You know, you know, after you break up with your first 
girlfriend or boyfriend, uh, it took a while for you to get over it. Maybe not in high school, but later on. Uh, um, so, but I, there was three things that stood out, I thought. Number one, uh, if I looked at a bunch of ETFs that have China and technology or China and Internet in the, in the same thing, and several of those broke out. Uh, also, I looked at a lot of solar stocks, and I don't know why, because they're getting rid of their, uh, I, I think they're getting rid of their advantage pretty soon in taxes. But a lot of those broke out too. Uh, and now there's, you know, d- decline. And the other thing is basic materials. Saw a lot of names in the basic material area that I, I thought were really kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I, I, um, there's a guy named Martin Pring who I've read like most of his books. Uh, and he's, he's really quite good. And he, he had some interesting information, what he thinks about what's going on in February. And I'll, I'll pass that on sometime in the near future. But, uh, look, uh, if you look at seasonality, um, you, you know, and, and you look at what the average performance has been. January has been five point seven. Uh, uh, I'm not. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to. I'm going to leave that for your imagination. One of the charts I really do like uh, is is the retail chart. Uh, you know, February to, uh, to April uh, usually are really good times for the retail investor and i mean the retail investor in retail stocks (laughs) all right Uh, and i have a couple that have broken out and i got a couple that look like they're gonna break out and uh i got several that look really good that do really really well and for some reason february and march so we'll just leave it at that um you know I, i had a lot of questions on facebook and and look i'm not an analyst our analyst really likes the stock uh all i'll tell you is that i'm a little worried because some digital tech firms are too big, uh, is what Britain's opposition Labor Party would uh, create a dedicated technology regulator to prevent market abuse and look up breaking up monolo- uh, monopolies like Facebook. This is out of the Wall Street Journal, by the way. Its part, party duty leader will say on Wednesday, Tom Watson will lay out plans that which include creating a regulator, creating a digital bill of rights, and giving social media firms a broad legal duty of care to protect users. The scale of the largest companies is rightly the subject of scrutiny. When you get too big, the government starts to follow you. Also, Germany did the same thing. So, uh, you know, be careful out there. Uh, you know, look, I'm not saying regulation is going to kill Facebook. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not that smart. Mark Mahaney has been looking at this thing for a long time, and he's a really, really good analyst. So, uh, but it's just, it's you know, a yellow flag. I am not saying to buy or sell Facebook. It's not my, you know, uh, I I don't make recommendations on the show, and I'm not making a recommendation right now. I'm just telling you there is a risk out there, and I had like ten questions on it this week. So uh, from you all out there, not not my clientele, uh, <clears throat> you know, I was looking at some of the uh, kind of the scoreboard, and, and you know, short term we get a lot of the the trend models showing up. Uh, longer term, though, we're still showing down. So you know, be careful. We've made this. Uh, uh, wedge formation from the bottom and usually wedge formations uh if they break to the upside are very positive if they break to the downside can be uh kind of negative and we did have this kind of reverse divergence type of scenario uh, uh and we're really nearing a type of buy signal that i follow fairly closely but i think we i think it died uh on friday so we'll see what happens but we did get a po uh, pmo buy signal and um uh, if you don't know what PMO is, look it up. I uh, don't have time to explain it to you on the on the show here. But uh, 
That was on the uh, NDX and the OEX, which are the smaller indices. So the NDX is the uh, NASDAQ 100 and the OEX is the S&P 500 100. So, so uh, here's some things that I'm seeing that, you know, um, are kind of interesting. I think in the short term, the S&P is into the next resistance band. And, uh, you know, we could have a, a between a 62% reta- uh, re- retracement of the fourth quarter decline to its 200-day moving average. Um, it probably, I think it'll be shallow, my humble opinion, but uh, it'll probably be a multi-month consolidation defined by a lot more sector rotation is what I'm thinking. And uh, I think there's some uh, near-term minor divergences developed, such as small caps and, uh, you know, the emerging markets, you know, margining, lagging. Uh, overall breadth and participation continues to expand uh, to both secular and cyclical growth stocks. So we're, we're not seeing the value stocks come ahead, although, you know, GM had a good quarter and uh, it still hasn't broken out yet. And um, there we go. So I, the one thing I would say is right now, you know, and, and I think I mentioned this last week. Uh, maybe I didn't. I'm not sure, but I, I think I did. But I'm seeing less and less stocks that are timely right this moment. You know, you know, stocks that you can buy, you know, at the perfect spot. You know what I mean? Uh, so that's a little bit more difficult. And um, But participation is expanding from leadership in secular growth to, to more cyclical groups, uh, which, which may be what, the, you know, the, uh, uh, that value group that we're talking about, um, a majority of which, you know, uh, of the cyclical groups had a 12-month bear market. And, and uh, so and they're, they're all near their 200-day uh, moving averages by their 200-week moving averages. Secular growth leadership is still in software in a big way. IT services and processors still remain. Um, cyclicals, you know, the breadth is expanding, so that's good. Uh, the energy trade remains the the outstanding cyclical laggard. <laughs> uh, it it really popped up and then just died. And the managed healthcare area looks like it's stalling a little bit, so you want to be a little bit more c- careful. But look, what I think is going to happen is we're going to have a pullback. It's going to be a lot less than everybody anticipates. And then we'll go sideways, and then in 2020, I think we take off. And uh, I am seeing, you know, I look at the weekly uh, momentum indicators, and they're pretty overbought. Uh, so, you know, what I'm looking at is a quadrant balance data, which is something, if you don't know, <laughs> good luck. Um, it, I'm seeing, the, you know, the Russell Daily uh, has been oversold, and it looks fairly interesting. Uh, I'm sorry, the weekly. The Russell Daily has already turned down and is now starting to turn back up. So it may be that the small caps lead the way for a while. Uh, growth for value, I, t- I took a look at this, and, and uh, in the mid-cap area, growth has overtaken value again. So uh, we haven't seen that in the small cap or the large cap area yet, but there is a sideways movement. So the, the, in the mid-cap area, which is where a lot of the software companies are, okay, and and that's that, you know, that uh, seminar I talked to you about, our conference on Technology, internet, media, and telecommunications. A lot of names in there that, that are good. EEM Weekly, the emerging markets have broken their downtrend line. Um, there's the relative performance of the S&P is starting to break out a little bit. China has broken its downtrend line, uh, dating back to uh, way back into t- uh, 2017. Um, I did notice that their internet stocks are starting to pick up. There's like five of them that uh, really look good. Latin America continues to look good. I would suggest a lot of it is Brazil. Uh, you remember they moved to the right. The, the market likes the right. 
Ten-year bond yields have kind of stalled uh, on the downside. I'm talking about yields now. Uh, so I think they're just going to trade in a uh, consolidation area. I am seeing um, the dollar index bounce from some minor support at 95. Uh, I'm going to talk about that. The, the, the point and figure chart is a little bit more definitive there. I'm going to talk about that in the next segment. But uh, crude futures, I think, you know, there's some resistance between 59 and uh, 63. I don't think we get through that for a while. Uh, gold, the XAU, which is the gold miners index has been a sideways consolidation if it were to break out that'd be big because it's been uh five six years lumber futures have really led the way in the commodity area by the way um so the areas i'm seeing improving are financials and mostly it's regional banks and i think because there was a couple deals done this week technology industrials materials and energy the weakening areas are utilities and some of the staples uh it's Staples are very divided, by the way. Some of them are very strong, Clorox, Coke, Procter & Gamble, and then others are kind of weak, and it, it, I guess it depends. But the software index is definitely the shining star, uh, and the semiconductors were great up until Friday, and they talked about the, you know not having anything definitive going on uh, in the Chinese talks, and the, the rest was history. The GDX, which is the gold miners' major index, did break its downtrend line dating back to 2016. That's a positive. Uh, you know, you need some follow-through for the uh, the overall uh, uh, actual metal, okay? We need the metal to break out, and the metal has not broken out. So, um, look, Lori Calcivina said that 46% of the S&P companies reported quarter uh, the fourth quarter through last Friday, and 71% of the companies reporting have beat their earnings expectations, which is slightly worse than quarter three at 61%. Uh, you know, so there we go. So the key areas of macro weakness are generally uh, unchanged. Uh, well, focus regionally on Europe and, and, and China, to be honest with you. And, and uh, 2019 EPS forecasts continue to drift downward during earnings seasons. So, uh, and by the way, she, her call on the on uh, Fang was really good. Let's uh, be, we'll be back with the uh, bullish percent. Stay tuned. No, I, I, I want to take two seconds to talk about the U.S. dollar. And if you look at the U.S. dollar on a regular chart, it, uh, it bounced off support and, and rallied back up. Uh, and, you know, with the the equity market regaining some of its footing in the start of the year, the U.S. dollar has, has looks like it's gone to a negative trend on a point and figure chart. Now, this is the X's and O's, okay? So, um, so if it were to break 95 and a quarter, I think we'd have a problem. Uh, right now we're at 96. Uh, you know, there's a downtrend line at 96 and a half. So, you know, it, it's a tight range, but um, it, it has broken its uptrend line, which is not good. Now, what will happen if that occurs? Look, when the dollar goes down, the price of commodities go up. Now, com- the commodities are down 75% from their high back in 2008. Okay, so they've been they've been in a. I mean, you think the stock market had a bear market in two thousand eight and nine? Commodities have just got killed. So if the dollar were to decline, that would be very very positive uh, 
for uh, the commodity stocks. And 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 by the way, this this not only the stocks but the actual commodities. Okay, so gold, silver, whatever would be good. So that that would probably what be uh, if the dollar broke down further. That would make gold break out further. Okay, so that would be you know gold, oil would be back up. You know, people in Saudi Arabia, the the ministers are talking about ninety dollar oil. I hope they're right, uh, because I, I, you know, the, the oil stocks will make a big bounce. All right, so we we talk about the bullish percent on this show, and it's our main risk guide. And 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 what I'm trying to say here is that you don't have to sell everything when this goes to a column of O's, and you don't have to buy everything when it goes to a column of X's. But it does tell you when when there's more risk in the market. So. It's a chart from goes from zero to 100. When we get over 70, that's when the market's been red hot. Okay. And then when it breaks from above 70 to below 70, that's usually a sign that you want to be a lot more careful. It doesn't mean you have to sell everything. It just means you better pay more attention. And this time we fell below 50, you know, we were 53 when the bullish percent turned down and it turned down hard. And I'll be honest with you. I had cash. I didn't think it was going to hit, be hit that hard. Uh, but I think the Fed's, uh, statement, uh, really set a lot of traders back and it set the machines going and, and that's the problem. But column of X's, you have the offensive team on the field. The column of O's, we have the defensive team on the field. Right now we have a column of X's. We've come a long way fast. We were 24 two weeks ago. Okay. We're now at 44. We were up 6.8% this week. So the reversal level would be at 38. Uh, and I don't know if that's going to happen near term, but, uh, you know, I do think we're going to go back and test. Like I said, I think it'll be more shallow than people anticipate. The over-the-counter index was up four. It's at 37. Better place to buy, actually, so the smaller names look better. Uh, and, they, and the world index is at 38, another, you know, pretty good place to buy. Actually, 44 is not a bad place to buy. Just wait for it to pull back. All the high-low indexes, that's the number of new highs versus number of new lows divided by each other, uh, are around 70, 78. So that's a pretty high number, and I think, you know, uh, when the high low index, you know, it can go coast to coast. So, uh, the fact that we're selling off a couple of days in a row doesn't surprise me at all. I, I think that's what I meant when I sent my email out last week. Uh, but remember, there's an old market adage that says, as January goes, so goes the year, which simply means that historically a positive return in the month of January, January has generally been a positive sign for the market for the remainder of the year. And if you go back to, uh, 1950, when the S&P index has produced a gain in the month of January is re- recorded a gain for the year 88% of the time. So it is a, is probably one of the best indicators there are out there. So the, the bullish percent uh, for the New York uh, stock exchange has returned to a bull confirmed status, which uh, what I mean by that is uh, it, it's, it's definitely in, it's a solid bull right now uh, with the move to 42 this just last week. So, now, I looked at all the long-term charts, uh, both point and figure and regular, and, you know, we had the correction, uh, and we've moved forward. You know, I talked about last week um, that all the point and figure charts look great. And look, uh, in the 60s, in about a third of the bull market was over, and Kennedy had the, the U.S. Steel thing and then the Bay of Pigs, and phew, they call it Kennedy's fiasco. And then Greenspan in the 80s, about a third of the way through the bull market, became the Fed chairman, raised the discount rate half a, half a point three months in a row, and he happened to have a committee in case there was a financial disaster. <laughs> Why do you have a committee if you're not going to expect a financial disaster? And they blew up. This is Powell's plunder right here, okay? So we'll see what's happening. He's getting some pushback on the board now saying, hey, you know, we don't need to raise rates anymore. 
Uh, one of the things I did notice is that the QQQs, which is you know the leading leading the pack of impressive gains with five point eight percent, not it close to small caps or mid caps, by the way. But on a trailing one-year basis, it's uh, it's up eight point one six. Now it was down twenty percent in the fourth quarter, uh, but it has picked up and has made like a broken the downtrend line. Uh, you know, it's been straight up. So I was just it's probably going to pull back a little bit. Um, I did. I looked at the sectors, and we're now at forty percent. Remember, we were at eighteen three weeks ago. So this made a big move, and gaming for some reason is an unfavored sector, but is all the way up to seventy. So you want to be careful in that one. Uh, but the the groups that are favored now, these are favored sectors. You want to be in a favored sector as much as possible, because if you buy the best stock in a favored sector, you'll you'll probably outperform the market drastically. If you find the worst stock in a favored sector, you'll probably do better than the best stock in an unfavored sector. But software is is 55%. Still buy it here. Uh, you know, you know, wait for it to come back to you a little bit. But software has been a hot spot, and I think it's not going away anytime soon. Electric utilities and gas utilities are 50. Computers and protection services are 45. Healthcare is at 40. Housing and restaurants are at 35. And then precious metals just sitting back there uh, below 30, just waiting for, I think they're waiting for the dollar to go. But uh, I did notice there, you know, like banks are still below or 30 or below. But, uh, you know, we're just two weeks ago, we had almost uh, 32 of the groups under 30. We only have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. 12, 13. So 13 of the 32 are below or 30 or below. So it it's, it's not as overbought as it used to be. So you had your chance and, and maybe you have another chance. I don't think they're going to give you a big chance, my humble opinion. But I, one of the things I noticed is we had software protection services go into favored status this last week. And then forest and paper products, which had been in the, you know, the, the, uh, the low end of the totem pole uh, moved up a little bit, still unfavored. And then we had a bunch of stuff that were unfavored that went to average. And that's transportation, drugs, textile, leisure, business uh, products, food, uh, media, and real estate. Real estate, I want to tell you, I looked through my charts every day last week. And regional banks and REITs, real estate investment trusts, that's, that's just a uh, portfolio of real estate that you know have to pay you 80% of their, their cash flow and dividends. I, I, I couldn't write down that many names. Okay, uh, a lot of them in the industrial area, by the way. The international equities, like I said, the Chinese, anything in Chinese technology, all right, whether it was Internet or just technology ETFs, all of them broke their downtrend lines, which is usually, a, you know, the downtrend lines, that psychological barrier that you can't get through. You know, it's like if you're trying to lose weight, and you, you're at 200 and you want to get down to 180. You know, if you, you just keep bouncing off 200 and suddenly something happens and, and you break through that. It's a very positive thing. In the same way, this is what happened with stocks. You know, we've had this downtrend line, and suddenly they've popped. Uh, so the Chinese technology, Chinese Internet things have been looking fairly good. Um, I did notice a couple international portfolios that held up really well and that are very close to uh, breaking out also uh, in other areas like Russia. Uh, Brazil actually broke out and pulled back, and, and that looks pretty good. A lot of lat Latin American uh, uh, ETFs are looking much better. The fixed income area, um, look, if, if I was buying fixed income, I would I would 
do 25%, you know, I mean, if it's just, just a portfolio and, uh, you, you probably want, you know, like a, a different, you want to correlate a little bit here, but, uh, I look at 25% high yield bonds, 25% intermediate credit bonds, uh, 5% or 25% senior loan and 5% municipal bonds. That seems to be the places to be, uh, best performing as far as price and yield commodities. You know, these, the commodities have been going for a while now, uh, Crude oil has been positive for six weeks after just getting beat up. Uh, the, the, the total commodity index is the, you know, five, six weeks, seven weeks of, of, of good positive action. Gold's been 10 weeks. So, uh, maybe that takes a, a breather before, uh, if the dollar breaks. And then copper is up three, 3%. Corn, you know, which had been leading the way, got beat up a little bit. But I said that the dollar is the, the thing that would start the value stocks moving up, by the way. If the dollar breaks down hard, the value stocks will start to break out. And, uh, you know, I, I would just suggest that uh, that's that's what I'd be looking for if I was looking at value stocks. And by the way, you know, growth and value have been going separate ways now for since the bottom in, in 09. So there we go. Relative strength buy signals. We always talk about this. Relative strength is very important uh, in technical analysis. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to get our fundamental analysis to work with our technical analysis. So we combine the two. You do better. Trust me. Uh, and relative strength, uh, uh, you know, everybody uses it. So, uh, you know, it's, it's in investors business daily. Uh, but what our Dorsey Wright friends do is they look for relative strength buy signals because some of these can last for decades. I mean, Dan has been on a re- regular, uh, relative strength buy signal since 2000. So, uh, so here's some names that, you know, so we took the big economy down. We're moving it down to a bunch of names. Uh, Pyx International, which is non-cyclical goods, Array Farm Biofarm, uh, Diebold, which just got killed, a, a local company, uh, and is down around five bucks. So be careful with that one. EGov, which is in technical uh, techno, technology services, Amaris, which is another biotech, which just went you know like from three to five, uh, Martin Midstream LP, which is interesting, and Zixi, which is another software company, and Coheris Biofarm, uh, Biosciences, which is another biotech company, and and then Aurora Cannabis for you uh, people who like uh, uh, marijuana stocks. On the sell side, now look, this doesn't mean you have to go out and dump the whole thing. It just means you want to pay attention to the fundamentals to make sure you're not doing anything stupid. Uh, CarMax Group, uh, Myriad Genetics, Simpress NV, Quotient Technology, and Fibro Animal Health Corp. And also CNX Midstream Partners. So we have one one uh, master limited partnership in the midstream area breaking out, the other one breaking down. And that, that's, <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Uh, you know, look, uh, what we're trying to do is, is educate you. And uh, I think Ben Franklin said it best. We are all born ignorant, but one must work hard to remain stupid. And I, I think what we're trying to do here is make sure that you, you learn a little bit. So, Stay tuned. We're going to be right back. We're talk about insiders. This is Smart Investor Show. Stay tuned. Okay, we, uh, we, we're back. That's what I'm trying to say on Saturday morning. 
Uh, this is Tim Hayes. This is Smart Investor Show. And once again, if you um, you miss part of the show, every Monday at noon, or is it Tuesday at noon? Uh, I got to get that. I got to talk to the to the head guy here uh, on WHK fourteen twenty AM their website. You if you go to local podcasts, they rebroadcast the show. It also allows you to go directly to my webpage. So if you want to get any of the stuff that we talked about here, the dividend growth growth portfolio, our best ideas, the technology, internet, media, telecommunications conference, and anything you want to get, you can get by hitting the contact me or email me. Uh, top ideas right now, dividend growth portfolio would be great. Uh, if you like software companies, there's a lot of them out there that are doing well. So right now we're going to talk about insiders. And um, look, uh, there's a company, uh, American AAT, American Trusts, okay? Uh, and we talked about it on the show back in March at $26. It hit 40 and it has 6% dividend yield. That's why we buy insiders. Now, I must admit, in the fourth quarter, a lot of people were wrong. A lot of insiders were wrong. Had a bunch of people buy United Technologies. We talked about it on this show at 245. It's now 180. Uh, Raytheon, they bought a bunch at 205. Uh, it's 170, 180, 179 right on there. Went to 150, by the way. Same with the FedEx. Aptiv, which is a big name, uh, uh, you know, in, in Britain uh, about, you know, self-driving cars. They bought a lot at 84, you know, down from 106 uh, and the stock 74 now, uh, up from 62. So there's a lot of names that got beat up. So you got to do your own homework. But these are names that you can take a look at and see what's going on. And I've been noticing it's a lot of biotech. Okay, hint, hint, hint. Cancer Genetics, which is a twenty-six cent stock. Okay, so the CEO bought one hundred eighty-five thousand. The CFO bought one hundred fifty. The director bought forty-three thousand. And uh, there's a gentleman who's a director who knows biotech bought one point five million dollars worth. It's a twenty-six cent stock. Uh, it's not for widows or orphans, right? Uh, Biogen, IDEC. Um, and this is a very smart director. Uh, Dennis Alexander is the guy's name. He bought $20.58 billion, three different purchases. Stock's down from three eighty. He actually is down 4 bucks, uh after buying it. Also, Opco. Uh, this, you know, we, we're used to saying Dr. Frost. You probably heard that here many times. He, he, he owns like 28% of the company. He's been buying a lot. But this is Jane Hasio. Jane Hasio is the chief scientist she bought 140,000 shares, and, and she owns 8% of the company. Uh, and the week before, Dr. Frost bought $2.4 million, uh, and then they did a, a convertible deal, which, you know, you, you start to wonder uh, why they're buying the stocks, but uh, they, they know better than I do, so I'm, I'm just uh, mentioning it. Um, Kinder Morgan, uh, Richard Kinder, who's a bright guy when it comes to uh, uh, the oil and gas area, uh, he, you know, he bought some last week. He bought another 3.6 million on Tuesday. And then on Friday, he bought another, uh, actually it's Thursday. He bought another $7.6 million. So I think he's bought about, uh, almost $15 million with the stock that ain't chump change folks. And then we have leap therapeutics, another dollar 50 stock here. Uh, the CEO, um, uh, who is quite bright, bought a million dollars worth of stock. The COO bought a million and the CFO bought a million. I like when I see both the CEO and the CFO buying. Uh, the, you know, if the numbers crunchers buying, you know, pay attention. Uh, also, Accuray, which is, uh, I believe we have a, um, 
I report on this company, little $4 stock, another medical tech company. Uh, the CEO bought 300,000 shares, and then there was four other people who bought between 10 and 60,000 shares. Uh, so it's I think it's $4 and some change or something like that. Um, also, we have uh, MagnaChip, uh, where we had a 10% owner, which is Brigade Capital, by another 30,000 shares. They bought a whole bunch the week before, which I did not report. My apologies, but I didn't see it. Uh, it was not on my, my list for some reason. Um, let's see here. Uh, <laughs> IESC, IES Holdings. Uh, we had several, I'm not sure what these guys do. I think they're, they're in, you know, like a construction type of scenario, but, uh, the CEO bought 218,000 and, uh, there was one, two, three, four, three, three or four other people who bought there too. And then mobile, mobile, uh, iron, mobile iron. We had, uh, the CEO, uh, bought 500,000 shares. It's around six bucks. And then we had three other, three other buyers, uh, you know, in the hundred thousand area, whatever. Now, here's something that's really interesting. AT and T, a director and a very smart director who used to be, you know, in the financial side of AT and T, but a million dollars with the stock. It's it's one of the first purchases we've had. Two purchases of AT and T in like eight eighteen years, and this is the second one. Uh, now everybody's saying that their dish, you know, uh, or their Directv purchase was a bad one, but. Uh, there are some things in the counting that they're doing that I think are kind of interesting and they're paying down debt. So who knows? And then JP Morgan, we had um, another director buy 566,000. It's the third buy in this area, uh, including Jamie diamond, which I think is interesting. And then under armor, you know, which was uh, just named a Goldman Sachs's conviction buy list. Um, we had a gentleman buy, uh, let's see, he bought uh, 10,000, under Armour at 200,000, but we had nine other buys between 1,500 and 5,000 shares, which brings that total to about a, 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 a million two. So here are the things I'm seeing. We went right to the 200-day moving average, right to the downtrend line, and the market died, uh, just as it should. Uh, it usually takes a couple times to get through. We have growth outperforming value since 2008 by the, probably the widest margin ever. As a matter of fact, it's the first time on a rolling 10-year basis that value has underperformed growth. How's that, huh? So the question is, what makes value go up? Well, usually, that's a lower dollar, and the dollar is teetering. So, uh, you know, what do we do here? Well, look, all I'll say is this, is that uh, what I found is value managers tend to outperform. If they're outperforming, in, uh, like I use a value manager that's coming April 8th, <laughs> and that's uh, uh, Marshfield, and they're outperforming in in a growth-oriented scenario. What happens when it's a value-oriented scenario? And I think there's going to be a lot of guys that have been underperforming for a couple of years that are going to be turning the corner on the value side. But So there we go. All right, so we, we went right up to the resistance line and the downtrend line, and we stopped. I uh, thought, you know, we mentioned that. We sent an email out, so... Uh, we also talked about the Baltic Dry Index, which uh, a good friend of mine in the office told me about. And, uh, you know, it got killed. And it the market's been following this thing uh, pretty closely, so we'll see what happens. And once again, you know, gold, everybody's talking about it. But gold has to break through, I think, the 1375. 
uh, before I, I get really, really bullish. You know, it's, it's, it's gone to the downtrend line several times and stopped. Um, as far as what's, what's hot, Latin America, real estate and technology are the three hottest things on the planet. Utilities are up, we're up there. They're losing a little bit of relative strength. So, and then mid cap growth, uh, is the other one. So, um, now look, there's a couple things, uh, that we should probably talk about. Number one is small cap stocks are still very, very cheap. Uh, and I think there's an opportunity still with those, which may occur, you know, if, if, and when, uh, we have a, a dollar collapse, uh, or a dollar, not a dollar collapse. I don't think it's going to collapse. I think it's going to pull back a little bit, but they still are two and a half, three standard deviations below large caps. And they're probably two and a half standard deviations below normal. And they're, they're probably a deviation below where they were in 2007, 2008, when everybody thought they were going bankrupt. Now, don't forget the dogs of the Dow, all right? Uh, you know, if we get a pullback, there's still time to buy these. And, you know, look, if you, if you, you know, you work with uh, uh, options, you can do dogs of the Dow with a covered right strategy, you know, and, or you can do dogs of the Dow with a leap portfolio. Uh, so you don't have to use as much money. There's a lot of different things. And remember, international equities are now just 28 spots or votes behind uh, domestic equities. So uh, that's something to think about. And I'm going to say this again. This is, this is the groups that went up the most. Gaming, which is already at 70, by the way. Precious metals, building, auto parts, and uh, protection safety, non-ferrous metals, oil service, forest and paper products, chemicals, and restaurants. They had the top 30-day performance back up to just two weeks ago. Now, technology's taken over a little bit of that, but it's still only in, uh, you know, seventh or eighth place. So, uh, look, one of the things I want to emphasize so nobody gets too bearish is that we're right. We went right down to the long term uptrend line dating back to the, the bottom in 2009. So we're still in a bull market. Okay. So, oh, I, you know, I forgot. Archer's Danner is Midland. We had a director by 1.4 million. He's the former CFO. Uh, I haven't seen anybody buy that stock in a long time. I made a lot of money on that stock. Uh, they gave like five or six, five percent stock dividends plus paid the regular dividends. So uh, good, good stuff there. So what would I do now? I uh, look. I told you know I sent the email out to everybody. If you got it, I hope you you know paid attention to it. Uh, we're probably going to see a pullback here, and and once again, I think you know I'm guessing here, but I'm uh, it's an educated guess. I think it's going to be a pullback, but it's going to be a pullback uh, that's going to be less than what people anticipate. Because there's lots of people still saying that, you know, it's over, we're going to zero, <laughs> and all that stuff. I don't think that's the case. I think what I'd be doing is I'd be calling Tim and saying, hey, let's get together for coffee and talk about my portfolio. and uh, Or I at least call him and say, hey, Tim, uh, by the way, April 8th, we're having Bob Dickey, our head technical strategist, and Marshfield at the Marriott Airport between 6 and 8. And uh, last year we had 63 people there. 19 of them said it was the best seminar they've ever been to. Okay, so uh, I think it'll be fun. You can sign up at my webpage. That's, uh, you know, you go to Google Tim Hayes Radio or Bing Tim Hayes Radio or call us, 888-223-8888. 7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or go to WHK 1420 AM. There's lots of ways to, to get to us. 
and and go to the local podcast. Go down to Tim Hayes. It gets you right to my webpage. Hit the contact me or email me. So once again, we're with Bob Dickey, our head strat- head technical strategist, and Marshfield. Marshfield was up last year in a down year. 8% turnaround almost. Uh, they're one of the best value managers I know. So you have Bob Dickey, one of the best technicians. who has got all sorts of awards with Marshfield. It'll be a great night. I highly recommend it. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Remember, buy low, sell high. This is Tim Hayes in the Smart Investor Show. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.